Hello from ABA Annual Meeting 2017 in New York City. I'm Lawrence Coletti. James Shear. Amy Tall. Kyla Maloney. Emily Fidelis. Carrie Bent. Sean Taylor. And Andrew Ruda. And we're all on the road with Legal Talk Network. All right, and we're back. We have a humongous panel joining us today, and they're fresh off their CLE in the city session, it was called, and hopefully I get it right the first time, Artificial Intelligence and the Law, the New Frontier of Research, Recommendations, and Responsibility. So first up, who came up with that monstrosity of a title? That was me, James. That was James. So James, could you have possibly made that any longer? I tried, and I was vetoed by the group. <laughs> so there was some group think there? <laughs> we, like, we like to be collaborative, hence the large panel. Excellent, excellent. So first question for you guys, we got a lot of us, but it's important. You know, everybody presented, so I want to get your bias. I want to learn more about uh, what, where you work, what do you do? So we'll start, we'll start with James, because he came up with the title. Sure. I'm a partner with Baker Hostetler, and I chair the information governance practice there. And I've gotten the opportunity to meet everybody who's on the panel and pulling together this as the, the track chair for the ABA's presentation of artificial intelligence. So I've gotten to write and speak and work with everybody we'll talk with. Hi, I'm Amy Tal. I currently work with Deutsche Bank as a VP. I'm a specialist in digital forensics, investigations, data analytics, artificial intelligence, and data privacy. Amy, that is a wonderful accent. Where does it come from? Oh, from the UK, of course. <laughs> Excellent. Hi, I'm Kyla Maloney. I work for IBM Watson. I spent about a full year going around the world and asking the silly and uncomfortable questions to lawyers, as I have probably the least formal legal education in this group. But right now I work on connecting strategy to solutions in the legal space. Hi, I'm Emily Fidelis. I'm an associate at Baker Hostetler here in New York City. Um, and I work in the e-discovery and data privacy and practice, uh, security groups and do a lot of artificial intelligence, blockchain, cross-border work um, in those spaces. Hi, I'm Carrie Bent. I work at Barclays. I'm the America's head of sanctions for the corporate and investment bank. And I am an, also a lawyer. And I can thank James for pulling me into the artificial intelligence space. I'm Sean Taver. I'm the director for the small law firm center at the New York City Bar Association. Most of the people who attended today are people like me with no, tech, no technical knowledge at all, and, uh, but learned a lot from, for the one and a half hours by listening to this panel. And the question is, what can we use? How can we use it? Whom can we get it from? And I'm Andrew Ruda. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Ross Intelligence, and we pioneered bringing the power of a lot of the new techniques around AI to the legal space. All right, so I'm looking for a volunteer. I know that you probably covered a lot, but we just need kind of a general description. So who wants to give that to us of uh, what was uh, uh, spoken about? So this is Kyla. I'll give that description. So today we talked a lot about the different areas of both artificial, or as I like to call it, augmented intelligence, and how that's starting to be understood and reflected in the different operations of law. Uh, as we pointed out and covered fairly extensively in the session, nothing happens in a vacuum and there's no one answer to anything. So as we expand in computing and in our understanding of how society needs to work with the law, the uh, alignment between the two is exciting, but as was pointed out by many of the panelists, it's not actually a new topic. Okay, so I, I see three R's in the title here. We have uh, research, recommendations, and responsibility. So obviously that was part of the presentation, the research components, and who, who wants to jump in on that one? Sure, so this is Emily. Um, the research is something that I think can 
we can continue to use automated, um, augmented learning to help us as practitioners and as business people um, increase efficiencies in our work. We have already, we're already using technology and augmented intelligence to do this, but just as AI continues to expand, how can we automate processes continuously to become more efficient? So just real quick as a follow-up, uh, Emily, what is augmented learning? There's a lot of people out there that don't know. Sure. So as was, as we said earlier in the panel, you, you might have this idea that artificial intelligence is sort of like the Terminator, the robot that's coming in to take your job and, and those kind of things. But the idea really is it's cognitive computing. It's machine learning. It's using a system or an algorithm to um, to do something, and then how do we improve that process? How do we teach that system? How do we teach that computer to, to make itself better and to continuously become more efficient? So now why is that important to the practice of law? I think here we look at the practices that clients are engaged in are changing. Uh, they are using these techniques. You talk to marketers, and of course they're using artificial or augmented intelligence techniques to find new markets, to find new customers, to find new products, and then making sure that those are messaged out and are really selling. Well, those are our clients. We have to be abreast of what their practices are so that we know how to best serve them with legal advice. We can give them some direction and we can help them make sure that they understand the balancing that they're going to need as they're employing new technologies. Okay, so obviously there's a lot of people talking and we did a little bit on research, but recommendations. So the practice of law, there's a lot of legal tech coming up in the space right now. The profession is innovating, which is good. But uh, in terms of recommendations, uh, what, what was discussed? Well, we made a number of recommendations, actually, because what we were trying to do is ensure, firstly, that we remove the preconceived idea about artificial intelligence, that it's not something that's going to take over our lives and do things that we're no longer relevant. So the recommendations were, you know, learning. People have to start looking at being multidisciplined. So even in the legal profession, they need to start engaging with other disciplines because it's all about using technology to enhance what they do. The other recommendation is that if they learn the technology, understand it and use it wisely, it would actually almost remove any human error when it comes to looking at big data and the investigations that we do. One of the recommendations we also made was, again, getting individuals, especially in the legal space, to recognize that artificial intelligence has been around for quite some time. It's nothing new. So, I mean, it's been in the space since 1923. We saw a lot of development in 1990 when we start seeing it, what it can do in gaming, virtual reality, case reasoning, learning, etc. And also using it from our personal lives. We talked about how Amazon has enhanced our lives and other technology that has utilized artificial intelligence. And it's about, again, recognizing that, that technology is there for them to use to enhance and help what they do and really not to replace them as individuals. So as a, a practical matter, if you're running a medium or small firm, how is artificial intelligence going to make your day easier? So uh, I think, uh, Lawrence, a lot of the time people are always like, oh, well, artificial intelligence, isn't that something for a large corporation? Um, but actually, I myself uh, was a, a, a working at a small law firm. And when we started Ross, a lot of it was geared towards how can we augment the practices of the solo and small law firm market? So here's a concrete example. A lot of the time, a solo small law firm might not have the same resources, meaning the same personnel. So this technology, whether it's you know our tool and research, others in kind of management, contract management, et cetera, allow one lawyer to be able to scale their abilities so they can do more. What does that translate to? That means doing better work for your clients and potentially taking on more clients, which is a win-win. Okay. Artificial intelligence, you know, for a lot of people out there, they, uh, they think about uh, 2001 Space Odyssey, you know, and Hal uh, closing the, uh, the, the doors on uh, Dave and then telling him he can't open it. But, uh, you know, today we've got uh, a bunch of Hal's driving around. We have driverless cars. 
And an interesting discussion that uh, came up when we were uh, traveling around was uh, about the driverless cars making moral decisions. And so there, you know, at some point in in a uh, in an artificial intelligence car driving its life, uh, it's going to have to make some decisions as to turn or avoid hitting one object versus another, and who programs that. So that gets into responsibilities and morals. And I just wanted to throw it out there for a little round of discussion. Yeah, I, I think we talked about that a little bit today in terms of there is a lot of our opportunity out there with artificial intelligence, um, and there is a lot of efficiencies that it can it can create. However, uh, and the engineers will tell us what the possibilities are, but with regards to lawyers, we are the ones that kind of guard what what is possible, what should be done. So just because it's possible doesn't mean it's always it should be done and it's the right thing to do. So that's where we engage lawyers. We encourage them to start to think about what they can, what they, artificial intelligence and what uh, they would advise to be done. Yeah, that, that intersection with practice and ethics is an important one. And we talked about that. The, the technology is certainly outpacing what some of the work that's being done. It, it's happening so quickly, but the ethical underpinnings of practice and responsibilities that attorneys have have remained pretty, pretty consistent. So we're, we're catching up with knowledge about what's, what's happening and what's able to happen. But as far as what we need to do, that's where we're just taking a considered look and, and staying true to what those ethical guidelines are. Yeah, and I'm really excited about what artificial intelligence will do for the expansion of access to legal services. Um, I think there's, we're going to have a, some of these challenges. I think we're going to create new practice areas, which is going to have more opportunities for lawyers to do that. But most importantly, you know, you look at a country like the U.S. with such an abundance, and 80% of people who need access to legal services can't afford it at its current delivery process. So it's not that these folks have no money. It's that right now, the way we built our system, it's very complex. And so I'm looking forward to AI kind of cutting through that and allowing more people to have access to a lawyer and legal representation when they need it. Yeah, to jump in a little bit with that, similar to the question that was asked or stated before by Andrew that people hear artificial intelligence and they think large firms have to invest, but really necessity is the mother of invention and it's also the mother of innovation. So we'll see as we go forward, needs like the 80% of those who need legal representation not even understanding that they might need it. Those are the sort of areas where fast-moving companies who can be innovative and pick up on technology, or fast-moving practices in this case, uh, will probably take the lead for the next bit. Yeah, and just to add to that as well, we've already seen in the legal space where um, legal practitioners have been part of the innovation. We talk again about TAR 1, TAR 2, TAR 2 being a requirement from the legal practitioners needing more machine learning that could actually replicate human behavior in order to deal with large data. So again, it goes back again to knowing the fact that artificial intelligence is not new. It's been around uh, for quite some time. Certain things that we did, we didn't even know were artificial intelligence was artificial intelligence. So and one of those things, again, is OCR, optical character recognition. One thing about technology with artificial intelligence as well, while, it's while it becomes routinely used, it's no longer seen as artificial intelligence, but the underlying computational modeling is still the same. So it has been in the space for a while. The legal profession have been part of the innovation, and I think that's just going to continue. So a uh, little follow-up on the ethics question. So I can't remember if I heard this or read this or saw this on TV, but uh, recently there was a couple of artificial uh, intelligence, I don't know if you call them beings or, 
or what you call them, but they were programs basically. And so they were doing some experiments with them, but then the artificial intelligence beings started talking to one another. And so the idea they were trying to uh, program them to work together, and that's kind of the benefit. I mean, this technology, the idea is to get it to work with other programs to uh, bring greater efficiencies. But when they start talking in their own language, it starts getting outside of the control of the attorneys that are ultimately using them. And I'm sensing this is an Andrew question. So well, <laughs> ethically, how do we handle that? Well, before we do that, I want to talk about what that story is, because I think it addresses something that is a big pet peeve. The media made it seem like those, those bots created its own complex language and it was something nefarious and they used the words Facebook had to shut them down. Um, I have a, a bit I've have and I've put on my Twitter a piece of the conversation the bots were having and it was nonsensical it was like yes yes okay yes the ball goes no yes one two one it was not what the media had made it seem to be and they didn't shut down they the when it was an experiment um, that wasn't successful so they didn't continue with that so I think, you know, um, we're not at that point, so I'm, it's kind of like there's no, there's no need to really answer that question. But if we ever do get to a point in the future where they're able to do stuff like that, I think, you know, we're going to be able to adapt and change. I think we already went through one industrial revolution where it was about, you know, uh, allowing us to do more muscular work. And now this is kind of an industrial revolution of the brain. We're now allowed to uh, and able to extend our brain capacity and what we could do mentally. So, Lawrence, no, nothing to worry about with those bots. But that is something I'd say if there was something to worry about. Well, Andrew, if my toaster goes on strike, I'm going to blame you first. <laughs> I'd offer up, too, that... Uh, you know, understandings about that story and what it really means, they, they seem to vary depending on the individual and on the news outlet. But as far as the practice of law, the practice of law has been around a long time. And a lot of the scientific processes and advancements we've seen have real implications in cases. Yet, it's not as though we had to wait until certain scientific advancements were made before you had judges starting to make determinations or people arguing one way or another. We do the best we can with the information available to us. And... I think that's the key there. We may not have all of the answers right now, and there may be certain parts of these processes that are difficult to really disambiguate or discern. However, understanding the best of what we can, that's the ethical consideration there, where you've got lawyers that really need to or should be keeping up with the pace of technology so that they can do the best job that they can. Well, we're uh, running out of time, but I have one last question for everybody. Our listeners are going to want to follow up. They're going to want to get ahead of this toaster strike that Andrew is going to uh, eventually put on. So being that the case, uh, let's get a little contact information. We'll uh, start with James. Hi, you can reach me at uh, Baker Hostetler. You can uh, email me directly at jsherer at bakerlaw.com. Hi, you can, this is Amy. You can reach me by email. Email is amie33 underscore uk at yahoo.co.uk. And Kyla. So I can be found on LinkedIn under Kyla Maloney, or you can email me directly at Kyla, that's K-Y-L-A, dot Maloney, that's M-A-L-O-N-E-Y, at us.ibm.com. This is Emily. You can reach me um, at e f. E-D-E-L-E-S at BakerLaw.com. Emily Fidelis. Hi, this is Carrie Ann Bent. You can reach me on LinkedIn. You can also contact me via email, kbent7, K-B-E-N-T-7 at gmail.com. Hi, this is Sean Teva. You can reach me at New York City Bar Association. And my email address is S-T-H-E-V-E-R uh, at nycbar.org. 
And this is Andrew Ruda. You can follow me on Twitter at, at Andrew Aruda, and you can email me at team at rossintelligence.com. And if you follow me on Twitter, I'll promise to make t- toaster jokes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to thank our guests for joining us today. And I also want to thank our listeners for tuning in. And if you like what you heard today, please find us first, then rate us in Apple Podcasts. We'll see you next time for another episode of On the Road with Legal Talk Network. Hey, great job, guys. Hey. <laughs> That good? was live, right? No, no, we're recording. We're recording. <laughs> okay. So, no worries. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find us on Twitter and Facebook. Or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Uh